Today on the show, I have Dan McCormick, CEO and founder of TriCreate or Create, interrupting the creatine space by creating the very first creatine gummy. And Dan and Create are a current client and they are a startup. They started back in December of 2022. So basically three to four months old. And this is an exciting episode. So for people listening that have been following along on the journey, we've had a former client and current client on the show previously, but another one we bring on today and Dan, and we get into ad account performance quite transparently. We're crushing it for him on the ad account side of things by launching with cost caps and DCTs. We get into the controversy of doing that, his hesitancies and disbelief into launching every piece of creative as well as even hesitancies around influencer seating and just the first round of content that he got back and his actual honest dissatisfaction. We talked, have an honest conversation around that, but Dan shares some amazing insights on what he thinks of just influencer seating and the, the belief in gifting, even with the hesitancies and dissatisfaction of the, the first round of content coming back. One of which is influencers now starting to post continually a couple months later, the relationships that he's built and turn into UGC contracts, the product feedback that he's gotten. So he has a very wise approach in the ways that he's thought about influencer. And then we get into ad account, like hesitancies around launching every single piece of creative even starting his ad account with cost caps and how he's building in public. He's one of the best founders on Twitter that is building in public and showing real data, showing behind the scenes. So this is a super fun conversation, talking about the ins and outs of influencer and our process and kind of underneath the hood of our relationship as a client and service agency. So very serious and fun conversation to talk about his business and excited for you guys to tune in. All right, everybody, we are back with another episode of the Influencer Marketing Blueprint. I am in the pilot seat, no co-host, no co-pilot today. Uh, it's just me talking to you guys, but I do have a special guest. He is a current client and one of, the, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, one of the fastest rising D2C brands today, building in public, interrupting the supplement space, none other than Dan McCormick. Dan, what's up, man? Cody, happy to be on the show. I guess Taylor had better things to do today than, than chat with me. I don't blame him. Yeah. And interesting that you say fastest growing. I feel like every D2C brand at some point makes the claim that they're the fastest growing D2C brand of all time. And then like you look at the asterisks or the applied asterisks and it's like fastest growing D2C brand as measured by unique visitors to website from the state of Idaho. <laughs> Um, exactly. So yeah, we'll, we'll, well go with fastest growing D2C brand of all time, Create Wellness. Yeah, fastest growing um, as claimed by Cody Whittick. I mean, I've never said it on the show personally, so we'll just go with that. Let's um, go with it. You are the fastest rising guest of the Influencer Market Blueprint. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah, so interesting points first to start off. Well, none other than we both, I realize that you're from Philadelphia. I am not, but I'm a huge diehard Eagles fan, Fly Eagles Fly wearing the shirt today. I often have a simple modern cup. It's just, it's everywhere. But yeah, can we talk about that for just a hot second? Let's talk about it. The This past Super Bowl run, for better or worse, was like the first time, I like the loss was obviously super tough. I went home to Philly, was with everyone that I ever grew up with. We rented out a bar. The oh, loss man. was tragic, but I'm not lying when I said it was like the first time I felt emotion, like loss like that in a long time and it was almost a good yeah. reminder and it, it says something about kind of the state of where we are as humans that like I needed a loss to feel this type of emotion 
but it was almost a, a good reminder. It, it was a good emotional reminder that I could still feel those types of feelings. Uh, all of which is to say I'm, I'm way over leveraged on the Philadelphia Eagles. It sounds like you're not from Philly. It's really interesting for people that aren't from Philly to try to communicate just how important the Philadelphia Eagles are to the city of Philadelphia. Back in 2018, when they, they won the Super Bowl, the whole kind of vibe of the city lifted for at least yeah. six months. Like it really does just make an otherwise relatively gloomy, moody city a very happy place to be. And the good thing is, despite the loss, I think we have a bright future ahead of us with a young coach and quarterback and and strong roster across the board. So tough loss. Glad to hear you're an Eagles fan. Go Birds, baby. Go Birds, baby. Yeah, we'll digress for everybody that doesn't care about the first two minutes of the show. <laughs> um, but if we could seed some product to Jalen Hurts, that would be awesome. All right. So another thing too, just like looking at your background, well, let's just, let's give the listeners a quick overview of like your background. I saw you obviously have some like D to C e-commerce experience working with some like heavy hitters with away and parade. And then obviously a very, well, not obvious, but finance background. And then the, the, the newsletter with your brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could you just speak to that? Just give a little overview of context of before coming into your brand? Yeah, so I spent my entire career, which admittedly is not that long, I'm 28, graduated in 2017, entire career in D2C e-commerce. The first two brands that I worked at, Away and Parade, were kind of this different generation of e-commerce brand, Away specifically. Amazing product, amazing founding team, was like really hot in 2017, 2018, when D2C and e-com in general, uh, there was one in arbitrage, but two, like, at yeah. that time, you could build not only big businesses, but like there was the funding to build big companies and attract really great talent. So like my main takeaway from Away was just the network that I was able to build of really smart yeah. e-com people that worked there kind of in the beginning stages and learned the bare bones and jumped over to Parade, which was a women's underwear company, which created a ton of great fodder for my friends for the period of time that I was there was like head of finance, which meant basically running the business side of Parade. Really interesting kind of D2C venture back story. Learned a ton about how to scale one of these businesses and mm. left that business about a year ago to join my brother who writes Not Boring. It's a business and tech newsletter that also has a venture fund attached to it. And from that experience, just kind of learn the value of being super authentic and open about building in public. So kind of brought all of those experiences together yeah. to, to start create. And for context too, this isn't just some like side project for your brother. This is like what at the time it was 140,000 subs. So, or I don't know what it is now. Yeah. Um, maybe you can speak into that. That's, this isn't just like a small little newsletter that goes out to a few people, but this is a big, this is a business, a real business. Yeah. So it's 190,000 newsletter or newsletter Amazing. subscribers. The interesting thing is we've never spent a dollar on paid marketing. It's all organic as uh, subscribers. And the quality of the subscriber is, you know, basically a high percentage of venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, founders. I think a stat we ran was that 40% of our readers were at one point either founders or investors. So it's a super high, uh, very valuable CPM. Um, so it's a, yeah. it's a sustainable business. And the other thing is that like, it's not serious. And I think that's like the main learning that I brought here. We're writing about serious things. We have a very serious audience, but we never take ourselves too seriously. And I think yeah. that's why people like it. Like 
like every newsletter, you have to find your angle, but like our, our angle is write about serious things in a non-serious manner. Your current brand, give a, give the 30 second what it is you, you do and you started, and then I'll ask questions about it. Yeah, so I guess the tagline is Create wants to be the first modern creatine brand. We launched a creatine monohydrate gummy that's the first of its kind. The overarching idea here is that there's just massive underpenetration of creatine as a supplement. Creatine's gone through this basically like 30-year stigmatization of the supplement from basically a quasi-steroid that's only meant for male bodybuilders and super serious athletes. It's potentially dangerous mm-hmm. for you, all these negative side effects. Turns out it's actually like the most researched fitness supplement on the market that has wide-ranging benefits for a bunch of different populations. And so our goal as a brand is how do we reverse that stigma? How do we bring the benefits of creatine supplementation to a much wider audience? Right now, something like 2% of the population takes creatine on a regular basis. We think like there's literally like a 50x road ahead of us on that front. Like basically everyone can benefit, save some like at-risk populations. A lot of people can benefit from creatine supplementation, proper creatine supplementation. and, And that's what we're trying to do as a business. And being in like CrossFit and being in the space for a while, I'm just shocked that this hasn't been created before. Just knowing how creatine is like, you buy a huge tub and it's like 20 bucks and lasts you like five years. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy just being in the space and having, I guess, knowledge about the industry to a, a little bit. So give, give listeners understanding of like, you guys just launched, yeah. um, basically like where you guys have been, when you guys launched, where you're at today and what you project to do. Yeah, so launched in December, halfway through December of 2022. It, today is March 2022nd. So what is that? Just about three months of sales. We did about 20k in our first month, about 65k in our second month, about 130k in February. And this month, I thought it was going to be around 150. Things are looking up; could be anywhere from 150 to 200, depending on how the last nine days of the month pans out. I don't want to make like wild speculations on what the year is going to pan out. Like we, we, uh, there's really no incentive to do so. But I would say somewhere between five to eight million in top line in, in 2022. All right, fifty million dollar brand by the end of the year. You heard it here first. Yes, um, at least that's what he said. At least fifty. Million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If kinship can do their job. Yeah. Gosh. Um, okay, so. Um, I went back to our, so we first encountered each other on Twitter and it was like a month before you launched. So go back into that time. Like you're a month in, I mean, obviously you've, you've done work, you've done like pre-launch, you've done like a waiting list, I'm assuming, but like what marketing channels did you have in mind? Like, Hey, I want to, I want to go to market with like this marketing mix. Yeah. So aside from the newsletter and running this business, my third job slash hobby is being a long-term medical. Like I, I'm a Mark Zuckerberg apologist. I think meta is the greatest <laughs> entrepreneurship enabler of all time. I think they've gotten a really tough run of it over the past three years because essentially just really bad PR and like everyone loves to mm-hmm. beat up on big tech. But just like seeing the impact of meta on a bunch of these brands and even outside of D2C, the impact of what having a efficient, scalable marketing channel can do. Um, like I've, I've always been a huge fan of, of kind of their mission, uh, despite you know a lot of the noise around around the company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I came into starting create thinking you know TikTok's really hot right now. 
it seems like their ad product is getting better. Like their the the product that we're selling plays really well with gym content, which at the time was like super popular on TikTok, still is from an organic perspective. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was going to be like kind of 50-50 between like meta and and TikTok and paid and organic. What I, I kind of quickly came to realize is that one, Meta was rolling out Reels, which in many ways contained a lot of the growth that TikTok was experiencing. Yeah. And two, Meta's ad product, which had kind of floundered a little bit due to iOS 14, had just since rebounded and gotten a lot better. So while we weren't in an arbitrage moment, like maybe you know just around like when COVID started to open up in mid 2020, sure. or back in like 2013, 2014, when Warby and a lot of those brands were launching, it wasn't like a straight arbitrage moment. But it was a relatively efficient time to be spending on Meta, and so yeah, that's that was kind of like not exactly the founding insight. But once we start to actually deploy dollars, that was like the insight that like it actually is, despite all the noise, a really advantageous time to be to be deploying dollars on Facebook. So this is kind of going back to what you were saying earlier too, having to do with your newsletter. Just because maybe you're connected with VCs maybe from your brother or finance days or working at DTC brands where maybe you'd raise or sold or different things, whatever the case is. I'm not exactly familiar with Away or Parade, but did you utilize those relationships in, did you guys raise, did you guys have or utilize those relationships when when it comes to create? Yeah, I thought it was going to be a lot easier to raise money for this company, to be honest. Like, of, of course, like there's people from my network that cut small checks in, yeah. into the business and we did, we did raise around. Let me start with that. Like we raised... We raised 500k on a five million dollar cap safe, which for like a tech company seems like a low valuation for a D to C company. Like, I think most companies probably aren't raising today, or it's like a fair valuation. Yeah. And so, like going into raising that, I was like, okay, I have worked with these brands and done well before. I'm plugged into the network. Like, I think I can do a pretty good job pitching the story. I think it's an interesting product in a big market. And that basically fell flat, that narrative on every CPG investor out there. Um, I was doing this kind of in the summer of 2022 and like, one, the markets were crashing. Two, all of the public comps of like D2C brands were falling more so than the market. Um, so like it was, yeah. D2C goes through these these periods of time where it's either super investable or not investable at yeah. all and like... I just decided to raise during a period where it wasn't investable at all. So to be honest, I'm still raising the 500k round uh, that I started back in June of 2022. Like that's still mm-hmm. open. I mean, add into the fact that people were going on vacation for the first time in two years, basically uh, in the summer of 2022. I mean, we certainly felt that drop of like a lot of people out of office, a lot of people taking their families on vacation. You've been a big proponent. I mean, you even mentioned at the beginning of sharing in public. And before we get into like the influencer stuff or paid media stuff, I saw you put something on your LinkedIn. You said, I'm an expert in nothing and don't pretend to be. (laughs) Not many founders would say that. So can you elaborate on just uh, your philosophy on sharing in public? Yeah, I, I think you had Sean from Ridge on the other week, and like he's super honest about everything, and the stakes are much much higher for him, like a hundred million plus business, and he's like dropping right. f bombs and being like very open about his numbers and all that. I think what it comes down to is that for our businesses, the people are that are going to listen to this podcast aren't necessarily going to make a dent in like our actual 
business from like a, a consumer perspective. And so being super open about our metrics, about how I'm building, like that doesn't actually like it touch or impact the customer experience. It just brings people into my orbit that otherwise wouldn't be in it. I am able to build a network slash like group of potential mighty fans of the business just because I'm willing to share my numbers. Yeah. And my sharing those numbers doesn't actually impact like the consumer experience or the number of customers that are going to come to the brand. Yeah. So that's how I feel about it. It's like really only upside, very little downside. Of course, like the first down month where I'm not sharing, like we're up 60% month over month. Like it's going to be a little embarrassing to be like the sharing in public guy. And like, Oh, I guess I'll deal with that <laughs> when, it, when it comes to it. But to date, it's only been positive for me. And I think that's just like going back to kind of one of the learnings from not boring, like the, the way that we were able to grow this newsletter and mostly Packy was just being like very authentically yourself online when most other people are just not willing to be so and all of the benefits mm-hmm. that come along with doing that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's like the philosophy is like one, like people maybe don't really care as much as you think they do. And like, they're not going to look out for like all of your losses Two, self-promotion is, it's really icky, but it does give you an opportunity to talk about skill. what you're doing. Yeah, it's a, it's a skill yeah. and like, it obviously doesn't feel great all the time, but like, it gives you something to, to talk about. And then three, yeah, I think it's like serendipity, put out good vibes on the internet and they're going to be paid back to you in spades. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I've even realized that even just on the service industry side, like just being vulnerable and sharing like, hey, here's the strategy, go copy and paste it for yourself for brands like people, I think really appreciate that more than just like that necessarily just the case studies themselves. But hey, here's the equip, like the tools and skills to go out and do this for yourself. And I think that's what kind of like what you're speaking to is like you're being able to share like, hey, this is what I'm actively doing in the moment for my brand. And I'm posting the results, although they've pretty much to the state have all been positive. Like you're still you like as soon as you maybe hit a negative moment, you're going to have all the support of people of an audience that have been following along on the journey. Um, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, which I think is really cool is really cool. Um, So let's get into the nitty gritty. So obviously you wanted to work with us for a reason. Like we came together. So I've asked you about the marketing channels. You wanted to like influencer was some sort of interest to you influencer and paid ads, like basically our two services. And as it stands today, we've obviously like morphed and changed and edited and flowed like into like kind of things. And as we've learned and come alongside each other, but I was just curious, like what's been the feedback like on the influencer side of things, like as you've seeded your product and as you've kind of gotten out and worked with us and done sort of these services. Yeah. So what's been the feedback from influencers? Yeah. Or even just directly from you. Over time, like over enough people, there's going to be people that connect with your product and like Kinship was yeah. really good about kind of narrowing in on who exactly that person is going to be. Um, and so, yeah, over time, like I think we've done a good job and we, I mean, your team working with my team on like yeah. refining who to gift, how to message the entire flow to them, and then how to take yeah. that content and turn it into compelling ads. One thing I listen or one thing that I've appreciated is just like, the flexibility in terms of what your guys model is. And like the way I understand your model from like your perspective, and you can tell me what it is. It's like, how can we 
create a partner that is sustainably spending ad dollars with us, essentially, mm. and maybe uh, maybe you could phrase it better. And so I think like I'm only going to increase spend if it's efficient. You guys are right. only going to make more money off of me if I'm increasing spend. So let's not if it's st- profitable. If it's profitable, so let's yeah. like stick to. Let's not just stick to an approach because that's the kinship approach. Let's find the best way for my brand. With, with yeah. your learning surrounded by that, let's find the best way for my brand to kind of create content and scale spend. Um, so right. for us, what's that? What's that has looked like is one the initial seeding playbook. Get our product in the yeah. hands of many micro influencers. See what content they get back to us, and like you can go through all the, the math around opt-in rates and things like that. What's right. been more valuable is like, cool, let's say 30 out of the 100 posted content, maybe five of them posted content that like is really, really promising and mm-hmm. could be an ad, could not be an ad, whatever. Like we'll put it in the account and find out. But now we yeah. have that relationship with that person to say, hey, I'm a huge fan of your content. It seems like you like the con- you like our product. What if we paid yeah. you like three to $500 to do like a more directive UGC shoot for us that we can then cut into more compelling ads. So that's what's yep. worked for our brand is like that initial seeding, starting relationship, and then creating UGC with those partners. So that it's, it's, uh, I love like how you just finished it because a lot of people don't have the actual like mentality of the relationship that's actually started. Like they, like we sell them on the content that's going to get produced and we're going to launch in your ad account. We're going to identify a CPA and all that stuff. But the, the ancillary benefit and the long-term effect of it is the relationship that you get to build. Like those five relationships, those, you know, those arbitrary five people, those are people that you did not have yesterday, you know, so to speak. Like those are now five new relationships that love the brand just by you putting the product into their hands. It's funny you mentioned like even like the low quality or like all that stuff. It's like, can you imagine if you paid them a buttload of money up front and it just came back crappy? Like that's now you're like out of the hole even way more. Totally. You know I mean? And a lot of brands do that. So it's like, it's kind of pick your poison on potentially on some of the things that you do get back. So, but you did, so you did just post this a couple of days ago. I commented, I was like, Hey, this is a great talking point for the podcast. Uh, that influencer that posted yeah. on Instagram, which I confirmed came from seating, but it came like a month later than she got product. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is actually a really, uh, and you can cut this if you want, but an interesting story here. So it seems like we gifted this creator a month or two ago. She had actually been taking the product and really liking it. Her agent had been in who, who monitors her email inbox had two days prior responded being like, Hey, uh, Nikki really loves the product. Like we'd love to work together on some UGC. We've been going kind of back and forth on like negotiating what exactly that partnership is going to look like. And then randomly Nikki posts like this very glowing, uh, organic, authentic uh, review of our product. And so it's Mm. like, okay, now I can see what Nikki uh, is able to produce for us. Imagine if like she had even more skin in the game to produce great content. And so like, yeah, there is a lot of that where um, like we're not necessarily paying, but like we're using this as an entry point into a much larger relationship with the creator. Because yeah. I think that's part of it, right? Like it's not always just like a perfect like uh, synchronous flow of like outreach. They get the product, they post, then you run it as an ad. Like there is some like ebb and flow of like you guys are a young brand. 
there's also something to be like taking creatine and actually noticing the effects. Yeah. And so it probably felt more authentic to her to be like, okay, I could potentially like love this. And the fact that she has an agent involved, obviously that like changes a little bit of the game. So yeah, the agent was definitely like, Hey, Nikki, this is like an extra $300. If we make this work, like our rates versus the rate Stan is proposing. So like post here, then I'm sure he'll go with like the more expensive package. Yeah. 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 Always playing a little game. Okay, so let's get into that side of things because obviously that's been, just as a teaser for people listening thus far, that's been like a huge success for you guys. And um, so the relationship with Meta, you already said you are bullish on Mr. Zuck. I bet you'd like to have a sit down with him though. Do you want to give the audience a little insights into what happened earlier this month? Yeah, so as I said, huge, uh, <laughs> jokingly a huge Zuck fan. I actually think he's gotten a pretty pretty hard run of it despite being like the top five person five richest person in the world. Like I generally think that, uh, and this is aside from what I'm about to get into, I, I do think like all else equal, he's been a relatively responsible operator for the last 20 years. And like, it goes, I almost compare him to like LeBron who like gets all of this yeah. shit. But if you go through LeBron, like the dude is the most stand up. Like he, he's done like one, maybe questionable thing in his entire career, which was the decision and in every other way, he is the consummate professional. And it's just like at the top of his game for the last 20 years. And despite that, like 50% of the country doesn't like him. It's the same thing with Zuck. Like, yes, there's some very questionable shit that's gone on at Meta over the past 20 years. But like all in all, the guy's been like the fifth richest person in the world since he was like 21 years old and like has been a pretty standard guy. Anyway, uh, Zuck, Zuck love aside, uh, got banned from Facebook at the end of February and was unable to spend on our ad account. And there was really no reason or rhyme or reason for getting banned. And Facebook during this time, it's March, 2023, is just in a transition period where like people are getting laid off and teams are being reorganized and a lot of shit's going yeah. on to the point that like, I talked to probably 15 employees at Meta and no one knew how to remove this like, basically arbitrary ban on our account. And so for the first 10 days of the month, we just like weren't spending on Facebook. And that really hurt our business from an acquisition perspective. Luckily, and we can talk about this, like we are a subscription business. So every day at Mm -hmm. 12, 16, uh, I guess, a.m. Eastern time in the morning, we have dozens of orders come through automatically from Recharge. But from like an acquisition perspective, we were pretty dependent on Facebook for acquiring customers. So not having access to the account uh, really hurt growth, at least for a period of time. So, and we also discovered when we first launched your ad account, we were trying to figure out because man, I I am a predictor. I'll I'll stand by this. I've been a little bit of a profit with you guys. As soon as we signed on together, I was like, this is gonna be a case study. Like I just felt really strong about your guys' product. It's novel. It's something that's been around, but it's also just a new product with it being in a form of a gummy. And at first when we launched ads, I was like, what the hell is going on? So without going into a question for those listening, we found some sort of pixel issue. I think Nick on our team found that on or figured out some sort of issue. I don't know if you want to shed light on it, but that was also a deterrent of performance at the very beginning when we were launching ads. Yeah. Shout out Nick on your team. He's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning, there was just something with the setup that was wrong. Like everything at Facebook, like it's kind of hard to understand 
the specifics of exactly what was wrong, but something was wrong and we went in and fixed yeah. the, the pixel and ever since it's been super consistent. That's like the main difference I've seen in Facebook Meta, whatever you want to call it over the past like year or so. It's just like whether it's good performance or bad performance, like performance is just much more consistent than I feel like it used to be. So we see product, we're getting a bunch of content, some of it you're not very happy with, some of it you're kind of like, oh, this is good, whatever. It's a mixed bag. You have content you shot yourself. Did you have hesitancy like with our philosophy of just launching every single piece of creative? Like you think it's bad, we think it's good, or whatever the scenario is. Were you surprised at all with launching every single piece of creative? Even though I understood it intellectually, when the first pieces of ad uh, content in the account were those like almost negative reviews, I was like, ah, this fucking sucks. I didn't want the first ads, the first ads that people are seeing of the brand to be like, hey, just got these gummies and like they don't taste great and like I don't know why I'm taking them. So there's definitely like, despite understanding intellectually, you know, why you launch all the content you have and let Facebook's algorithm figure out what content is going to scale and not scale, there's yeah. definitely still a little bit of hesitancy of like, hey, this is not exactly like the content that I want to be putting money at behind and putting out into the world. Over time, what you figure out is that like, if it's truly bad content, it's probably not going to scale and thus less people are going to see it. And if they do see it, it's probably it like- It won't spend. It won't spend. And even if it, like, if it does spend, that person's also going to see a bunch of other content from you that is likely not negative. Um, yeah. So it just kind of creates like this vortex of- uh, almost like it's almost like, co- like controversy where it's like, I just got an ad telling me this wasn't like the best product in the world. Now this person's telling me it is really good. And like, I don't know. And that content also creates engagement. Like people are, like, there's so many armchair Facebook experts that are like, this ad is so shitty. Like this team has no idea yeah. what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, no, we actually could turn off this ad if we wanted to, but you're commenting on it and giving an engagement. So we're not going to <laughs> Um, so this brings into why it won't get spend, which is if you guys have been listening to the podcast, Taylor and I did a whole episode on cost caps and dynamic creative testing and our philosophy on running Facebook ads. A lot of people will say, don't launch an ad account with cost caps because of basically the fear of you can't get delivery. So were you surprised at all? Basically like your ad account performance, let's just take January and February. And I have these numbers in front of me of the performance thus far in the past. Let's just take the past two months with cost caps in place? Yeah, it's been awesome. It's scaled and scaled efficiently. Quick story, right after we launched the account, we weren't getting any spend and I'm like super antsy. Like I need to see results super quickly. And it was the week between Christmas and New Year's. And like, basically we launched, cost caps weren't getting any spend. I tweeted out like something to the effect of like, are we doing, yeah, are we doing this correctly? And I didn't name, I didn't name Kinship by name. But I was like, I don't know if I trust these this approach right now. And basically yeah. for a one, everyone was like, dude, don't do cost caps. You got to do like uh, highest volume, lowest cost uh, campaigns. And I like went into the Facebook account and created a uh, campaign to those specs. And like, of course, saw like a little bit of performance above what we were seeing on cost caps on the, at the time. But if I was just like patient, I would see that, you know, a week later, like cost caps the, the ads will have learned enough. We will have found like exactly what the cost cap needs to be in order to find additional spend, things like that. So like 
despite a little hiccup at the at the start of the relationship and from that sense, cost caps and your general approach uh, to how to scale a Facebook account has worked for us the, at least the last two months. For sure. Um, so what was your what was your CPA goal when you launched? I believe I know this number, but what did I tell you guys? Like seventy five. I I don't know. You said forty five. Forty five. Okay. I think in the back of my head, I was like, if we can get a $75 paid CPA and like blend that down to something closer to 45, then we'll be successful. But right. Yeah. Your CPA goal uh, was $45. I think what you had said was 75, you'd be happy with, but you want to get it down to 45. So basically in the past two months, we've hit a 60 and then 38 in February. So Without like just trying to make this about you know bragging about your uh, ad performance. Yeah, you're about four months young as a brand. What do you know now that you didn't know at launch? That's a good question. There's a few learnings that I wouldn't have predicted at the beginning of launching this company. Two stats that like I like to throw out about the performance to date that like most people are pretty shocked by. One is that 75% of our customers are female. Um, and then mm. the second is that 70% of customers are trying creatine for the first time. And those Amazing. two insights, it's kind of circular. So one, those two insights are largely driven by the creative that we're putting on Meta. But now that that is true about our brand, it also feeds into the new creative that we're making that we'll then put back into Meta, if that makes sense. So it's like yeah. creative drives company profile and then company profile, which you could call brand as well, then drives creative. And I think that like yep. wasn't super clear to me when I started. Like the first two companies I worked at were very tops down. This is what the brand is. Away was like a super inspirational travel company started by like two very like uh, design driven people. Parade right. was like very downtown Manhattan, like Dime Square aesthetic. And like that was all mm -hmm. tops down. And our brand is just very bottoms up of like, hey, we have a great product. We test out initial content and this is who it resonates with the most. And we're going to feed that back yeah. into the brand. Um, so that was like Love it. a kind of an operating philosophy that I didn't have coming into it, but have learned over the past like three months of like, yes, being tops down on like what the company is and the brand and all that, like I think does have its place. But there's also a place for just like listening to who your product and company resonates with and then building from that. Amazing. I mean, one of the advantages of even seeding out product is being able to see like who rallies around your product just is agreeing to receive it, right? Like as far as like categorically, like if you saw more females or males or fitness junkies versus like, I don't know, the 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 girls that are 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 really trying to drive awareness let's just say on their profile yeah. for uh, to be a pc on this it, something interesting is that so the first gifting like we did or probably the first two giftings that we did were 50/50 female male and i think 85 to 90% of the content that's been posted has been posted by women and so like that very fact that uh, that characteristic of yeah. seeding where I think just female creators are more used to posting product that they're gifted on their, on their True. channels True. has driven so much about what this business is because, you know, then we're able to take their content, learn from their content, create new content off of it that drove our Facebook account. 
and suddenly we're like a female oriented creatine gummy company. Um, and it's all because like who was willing to post about our product in the first initial rounds of seeding. So we, we, I mean, we talked a lot about that account, like hitting up with cost caps in place. We're hitting a very profitable CPA got for you guys right now. And especially in a subscription model, that is huge because even there's a lot of subscription businesses that we're working with or that we just know that they're not first order profitable, but that LTV does make them profitable because they are in that subscribe and save model. So were you guys always interested in that model for that very reason? Just it gives you a little bit more margin to acquire a customer or is it something that you guys have kind of just like, this is probably a good idea. Let's just let's just turn it on and see what happens. Subscriptions. That was like one of the founding theses of the company. Like yeah. I kind of approached create in two ways. One was like, all right, if I was to create the perfect D2C widget company, what would it be? And then the second was like, I have this personal experience with creatine, but taking it for 10 years, recognize that like it's widely underpenetrated. Putting that aside from like the last five years in D2C, I was like, all right, I think it needs to be at the very least a highly consumable product even better if it's on subscription. It needs to be high margin. It needs to speak to both males and females because that just doubles the size of your potential customer base. There's a bunch of these like D to C characteristics that I knew I wanted to have in the business that I started. Subscription was probably the primary one of that. Just because like working at these other brands, you're you're literally wringing the towel so tight every day to like drive repeat orders. You're launching new products. You're like, you're hiring full-time people to like optimize emails. You're doing so much. You're investing so many resources into getting customers to make that second purchase with the subscription. It's just like the default. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was kind of like the, from a business model perspective, how I thought about subscription. So wrapping up here, you're four months into your brand what would you advise someone that's about to like pre-launch? Like, would you advise them to work with influencers? Um, or I guess, what would you, yeah, what would your be advice for people listening that maybe are pre-launch or about to launch? Would you advise them? What would you advise them on the influencer front or if at all to invest in that channel? Yeah. On the influencer front, I think I'm probably not the first person to say this. Like, unless you have a major arbitrage from like a celebrity perspective, it's probably not worth doing paper posts influencer in your first like six months to a year until like you don't need to do very strict ROAS calculations on what that that placement's gonna get you. So avoid that. There's gonna be like people that aren't quite needle movers that are willing to work with you prior to that. I would avoid it. That being said, like if you can build a deal with an influencer that has a built-in community, like that's something worth mm-hmm. exploring. Um, yeah. And then the second thing is I, I, I do believe in gifting. Like I think a lot of even immeasurable positive comes out of gifting. It gets your product out in the world. You can get feedback from customers. Like we heard from initial people that we seeded that like our product was too sticky. And that was mm-hmm. something we did that like a month or two before launch. And that was something we were able to then correct prior to placing our biggest like very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Customer facing PO. And so like even from a non-marketing perspective, having like a cheap way to get this product out to hundreds, thousands of people, probably not thousands yet, was like super beneficial. And then just like, I think this is one of the main things that you guys talk about, but like how can you kind of harvest as much value 
in a mutually beneficial way out of those right. gifting relationships as possible. So it's using the content that they're posting uh, in ads, that is potentially moving them to a UGC relationship, that it's potentially moving to an affiliate relationship. Then maybe potentially right. it's like, hey, we want to do some kind of brand deal with you where like we just want you to be someone that people associate with the brand. And that could all start from just like sending them a product for, I don't know, for us it's like $25 or something. So uh, yeah. a lot can come out of like one initial interaction. Well, I love the perspective too because it's it's something that's a little bit more long-term and it's not necessarily like a direct one metric that you're measuring it against, but there's there's a lot of different things that are involved when it comes to a relationship rather than just kind of like clicking button, turning on an email campaign. There's our human-to-human relationships. And what Dan mentioned, you've heard me talk about on the podcast, don't entertain macro influencers, please, guys, unless you're at a certain revenue tier. So audience has definitely heard that a time or two. All right. Well, it's been a jam-packed episode. You guys are, like I said, fastest rising D2C brand yes, sir. Um, to hit the market. You're a Fly Eagles Fly fan, which has just added juju for your brand to just uh, skyrocket. Where can people find you if you're wanting to connect? On Twitter, uh, Dan McCormick13. On the website, it's tricreate.co for creatine monohydrate gummies. Um I tried out LinkedIn a little bit. I had to crawl out of my skin, so posting much less there. Um, <laughs> but maybe I'll pick it back up again, and I'm just Daniel McCormick there. Yeah. Go follow him on Twitter, guys. He's, uh, for especially brand owners listening, like we talked about on the show, building a public, putting out valuable things, get to show the inside and underneath the hood. And additionally, just I'm sure he'd be available to you guys, especially people that are just launching. Um, totally. would love to be a resource for you. So. Dan, thanks for coming on the show. Cody, thanks, Dan. All right, that's all for today. If you'd like some help developing your influence marketing campaign, go ahead and DM us on Twitter. Links are in the description. Or you can head to kinship.co to learn more and you can book a call there. That's K-Y-N-S-H-I-P dot C-O. At kinship.co, you also find tools, templates, and resources all designed to help you grow an influencer campaign that drives visibility and sales, not just likes. Thanks for tuning in as always, and we'll see you next week.